0: looking at the first 11 verses of Matthew 21 this morning. Familiar passage. It is the picture of a triumphant entry by the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And as we will look at this morning, oftentimes this king has been misunderstood. Being a king, taking over a kingdom... He didn't do it in the traditional, expected ways. And yet, his coming, his triumphal entry, was the sign of a new land, a new day, a new hope. And So turn with me to a familiar passage. It's Matthew chapter 21. If you'll stand in God's honor, I'm going to read aloud those first 11 verses. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethage on the Mount of Olives... Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, tell him that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, See your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, placed their cloaks on them, and Jesus sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. May God bless the reading of his word. Let's pray. God, we are grateful that we are here we want to meet you today. We want to encounter you. I pray that what has preceded, Lord, has been an opportunity for us to meet you. And I pray that we would continue to see Christ. And Father, we just need you. It's that simple. And so, Father, move and Lord, may we meet you, the living God. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, Easter is coming upon us in just a few weeks. Uh, this week, I want to talk about that triumphal entry of the King, uh, Palm Sunday. And then next week, we're going to look at Calvary, the cross, and then Easter, the resurrection, the great hope, what everything appeared to be so bleak, and boy, was there a turnaround as we wait for that awesome resurrection day that uh, we'll discuss. But anyway, I want to begin this morning in talking about Jesus, as he fulfills a prophecy that is found in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, of a king who comes in on a donkey, young colt. And by doing so, he makes a grand pronouncement, the king has come. And this morning, I, I want to look at this king, and I want to look at him in three ways that I believe are rather unexpected in the way we often view a takeover, of one who comes in to set up his kingdom and to present forth his power. And first we want to see Jesus as a confrontational king and then a counterintuitive king. And then lastly, as the coming king. First, as the confrontational king. Up to this point, as we look in the Gospels, Jesus was changing lives. He was healing the sick. He was casting out demons, he was doing works, but he would say, oddly enough, to the people around him, be quiet, don't, don't tell others what is going on. And at, at first glance, it's like, why? Why would he not want to spread the message? And, and then we find out in the scriptures, he says, my time has not yet come. You see, there were religious leaders that were filled with jealousy. They looked at the attention which Jesus was receiving and they thought, hey, we're the guys that are supposed to get the attention, not him. And there was this constant push to stop Jesus, to interfere in his ministry. And Jesus had a plan and the Father had a plan and the timing was perfect. And at this point, Up to this point, he was too quietly, as far as spreading who he was to others, he was quiet. But this particular passage signals a transition. It is a transition passage. No longer is he quiet. Now he makes it very clear and very obvious who he is. That he is the promised one. He is the coming king and he has arrived and he is fulfilling prophecy in the process. If you go back with me to the previous chapter, in chapter 19, um, or excuse me, it's one of, the, one of the other, oh wait, I'm on the wrong, anyway, chapter, chapter 19, and he talks about um, the two blind men who came before Jesus. Verse, boy, chapter 20. I am out of sorts this morning. Y'all need to pray for me. Chapter 20, near the end of chapter 20, there's a picture here of two blind men. Jesus is entering Jerusalem, and they spot Jesus, and they begin to shout, Son of David, have mercy on me. And the crowd begins to rebuke these guys. I mean, after all, this is a busy man. He has no time for two beggars who are blind. The crowd does not see that they are special or significant and shushes them. But yet, through the rebukes of the crowd, Jesus responds to them and he says, What would you have me do for you? What do you want me to do, guys? I love it. That in all the noise, the massive crowd, all the, the celebrity status that that happens in a, in a mad event, Jesus can hear the two outcasts. And he responds to them. And of course, they respond back and they say, Lord, we want to see. We want our sight. Now, what were the crowd, what were they yelling? They were yelling, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And the term Hosanna literally means, Lord, save us. But as Jesus was coming in, as he was approaching, he was not approaching as you would expect a triumphant king to approach. They would come in on a mighty steed, a magnificent horse, with others around him to show power, to show prominence. And yet, that's not how Jesus entered. That is not how he approached. He came in on a donkey. He came in in a quiet manner. One author made this point. He said, if 2,000 years of modest handling had not dimmed our understanding of the story's demand, his gospel would still be seen as the burning outrage it really continues to be. It is either the work of madness or a blinding revelation. The acts it portrays, the claim it advances from the very first paragraph, demand that we make a hard choice. If we take the gospel writer seriously, we must ask the question Does he bring us a life changing truth, or does this lunatic tell? of a wilder, lunatic, wilder than he. I love it. Another commentator said, think about this point. I thought this was fascinating. He said, when have you ever met somebody who was humble but not modest? Remember, Jesus was meek. He was humble, lowly in spirit. But he was very bold in declaring the truth of who he was. Before Abraham, I am. I will judge the world. I am the power of the universe. I am the creator. I was there when Satan fell from heaven. And although he was humble, he was not modest. He was king. He was king in his arrival. Barbara Boyd, a Bible teacher, uh, shared this interesting point. She said, My name's Barbara Boyd. If you were to say to me, Come in, Barbara, but stay out, Boyd. Well, I couldn't do that because I'm not part Barbara and part Boyd that can be separated. When I come in, I'm Barbara Boyd. Not just part Barbara and part Boyd. I'm Barbara Boyd altogether. And she went on to say, And when you have a relationship with the King of Kings, Jesus Christ, you can't say to Him, Come in, Savior, but stay out, Lord. You can't say to him, come in, help her, but stay out, king. You can't say to him, I just want part of you. He is either Lord of all or he is not Lord at all. Jesus Christ was making a bold statement as he entered in as king where he is basically saying, crown me or kill me. We, We forget about that when through years of church and, and of, of history of, of Christianity away from the time of Christ. But when he entered in, it was a very dangerous time for him and for his ministry. He was saying, you either follow me or you leave. There was no in between in what Jesus declared as king. He was a confrontational king. But also, he was a counterintuitive king. As he entered in, as I mentioned earlier, he did not come in the standard way to draw attention to himself, to declare, here I am in such a way that it was a picture of power, but instead, think about this, instead of coming in in a picture of power, in a picture of control, he came to save not by taking power and killing, but by losing power and dying. It changes everything. He did not enter in to save by taking power and killing, but by losing power and dying. In other words, his kingship would be pronounced by the cross. And so we, as his followers, are not called to save by taking power and taking control. And leading people where we think they should go, but instead, our power, our victory comes through the triumph of repentance and to honestly coming before the living God and declaring that I am a sinner and desperately need a Savior. You see, His power is received when we confess our weakness. When we come as broken sinners, we're able to receive the forgiveness and the power that the living God wants us to enjoy. We are not saved by our good works as we often think. It is not how good a Christian I am. It is not marked by my performance having to be a, well, maybe if I can't get a 10, a 9.7 would be good enough. That is not the way of God. And Jesus, in turn, as he appeared, He did not say, look how moral I am. You have to be just as moral. If you can't live exactly like me, you can't get into heaven. You see, salvation is not about our strength. It is about the strength of Christ flooding into our weakness and providing what we cannot provide. A strength and source of a right relationship with God hey, we got a problem, and part of finding the answer is understanding we got a problem, and there is a Savior who is available. Um, Tim Keller, in in one of his messages, he talks about a pastor friend who was a hospital chaplain, and he got a call in the middle of the night, and this guy asked him to come out there, and so he arrived, and the guy said, uh, well, Sorry that I called you out here. I, I really don't need you anymore. It was a mistake in the x-ray. I really don't have cancer. I, they, they thought I had cancer, so I don't need a pastor. And it was funny because Keller said, you know, this buddy of mine, he was nice. You know, sometimes pastors maybe were a little too nice. And and he said, you know, he said, well, it, it's okay. It's all right. And he said he should have said, well, he said, it's, it's nice to meet somebody who won't ever die, who doesn't need a pastor. Hey, the fact of the matter is, we all need a pastor. We all need Christ. We need him. And they misunderstood, counterintuitive. they In looking for Messiah, the crowds, as they cried out, they were thinking what we need most of all is to be set free from this evil rule of the Romans. They have made life so miserable for us. And so their picture of a savior who's somebody who would come in and get rid of those Romans because they were in the way of true worship and true freedom that God would provide. But what they didn't understand is that is not what they actually needed. They didn't need someone, ultimately, to take away their persecutors. They instead needed someone to come and bear the judgment that was up on them because they're sinners. And that is what the King came to do for us. Now, a couple of implications here as you look at Palm Sunday. The first one is this. There's no better example of the worthlessness of celebrity than Palm Sunday. I mean, here's Jesus riding in on this donkey, and the crowds are pouring out their love to him. Um, There are many that are taking off their cloaks and putting it in front of the donkey, which was a sign of submission that was basically saying you have the right to take charge of my life, when they put those cloaks down. It was, at, it was a show of submission to Jesus Christ. And yet it wouldn't be long where many of those same people who were yelling Hosanna would be yelling crucify him. The celebrity passed quickly. The mood of the mob changed Quickly. And if you're pursuing your sense of acceptance and identity and approval and love in the crowd, guys, it's fickle. It will not last. It will not stay. There is one place where you will find love that is secure, love that is stable, love that can be counted on, and it's in this king. It's in his work that he accomplished at Calvary that we are to receive ourselves that's where there's acceptance and real love just a couple of words jesus said he said he who comes to me i will in no way cast out man that's security jesus said it's not how tight you hold on it you're in my hand you're safe another verse he said my sheep hear my voice and i know them they will follow me and i will give them eternal life and they'll never perish There's real love found in Christ. And then I love the way Romans 8 ends. He says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. One commentator had wisely said, I thought he said, realize Palm Sunday is an incredible parable of the lifelong mismatch of what you want and what God is providing. What we think we need is almost always shallow. There is what we think we need, and there is what we need. You see, at first there were many of them that thought Jesus failed. Well, you know, he's a great teacher, but he got himself crucified sent to a cross he messed up but what they wanted was not what they realized they needed so it is often true for all of us and what we need most of all is a right relationship with a living God because when we are not right in our relationship with God everything else is ultimately wrong one more guys as I close this out um, He's the coming king. I always love this second coming, Christ returning. Everything now at times is just so messed up. And it's like, Lord, when are you going to fix all this? He will come and he will fix the mess before us. It's interesting uh, with the palm leaves that were being placed out. Psalm 95 speaks of, of this future that will come. And, and it was about shalom uh, that we know as peace. But the word literally means a thriving and flourishing peace that is to come. It says in the Psalms, there will be a day where the palm trees will sing for joy before the Lord because he rules the earth. And then in Isaiah 55, it says, The mountains and the hills will burst into song before you all. The trees of the field will clap their hands. Think about it. One day, there's so much disharmony, so much disunity, but one day there will be complete harmony and complete unity that will occur because of the king's arrival. He's coming. And he will set right what is now often so wrong. There will be an end of disease and decay. Thank you, Lord. No more creaky knees and other health issues. New bodies. Things will be new. No more sickness. It's it's coming. Don Carson, in his commentary, points out about Jesus riding in on this donkey and the significance of Jesus as king. Listen to his words. Everybody that knows anything about animals, horses, mules, donkeys, you can't just jump on one and expect to ride it. They have to be broken. It is scared, especially a baby donkey, especially when you ride through a yelling crowd. In the midst of this excited crowd, a young, unbroken donkey remains completely calm in the hands of the Messiah who controls nature and steals the storm isn't that beautiful in the midst of this chaos the donkey feels the comfort of the true king who is upon his back as they ride through a crowd that is yelling in the midst of a city he's calm and the scriptures talk about that day when things will be restored and there will be complete harmony listen this is from Isaiah verse, I mean, chapter eleven, beginning at verse six. A few verses here: The wolf will live with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear; their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den, and the young child will put its hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Man, what a day. What a day that will be when our Lord returns and things are made as they should be. And then the last point that goes along with this, God cares about this world. It's always amazed me how we have a God of redemption and restoration. You know, through history, we've been bad kids, bad children. And, you know, you get mad sometimes when a child is bad. And, you know, And if I was God, I'd be a lot rougher, I think, at times. But, I mean, you know, at the times, like with the ark, you know, the floods... Jesus could have just said, "Eh, I'm wiping them all out. We'll start over, you know. Just do the whole thing again and, and, you know. (laughs) But he didn't do that. Because he's always about taking what's broken and bringing restoration. There'll be a new heaven. There'll be a new earth. Uh, Creation itself that at the moment has a brokenness will be restored. And there'll be that perfect harmony that will arise. God cares about this place. And he cares about all who are in it. The people and the animals and all creation itself. It is his. And he has a love for creation. And it will be restored. Listen, this is from Romans 8. I love this. 19 through 21. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. So have you ever thought about that? It is not just merely that those of us who belong to the master born again, born from above, are eagerly waiting for this great king to arrive and bring in his people, changed all of creation. There's there's an expectancy. There's a longing for all of creation to be transformed by the power of the coming king who will arrive. text goes on. It says, For the creation was subjected to frustration not by its own choice but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. So creation itself longs for an end to this decay and destruction that is around us and for there to be a glorious freedom that's found in the perfect work of Jesus Christ. And that is what awaits us in in glory when God brings in his full kingdom. But for now, he wants to call all of us into his family. For that future event is coming king. He wants us to find the life that is found only in him. In a world of decay, there is a chance for a new start, a new life. And that brings us to a chance to respond. Where are you? Do you have that life that is found in Christ? Have you trusted him? Is there something that you need to submit to him about? Maybe you've been having a little argument with God. Guess what? He always wins. So you might as well go ahead and say, Lord, what? Yes. (laughs) Get it over with. Because there is peace and only there. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are king. Lord, what a great king. As you confront us, Lord, may we see you as king. May we be willing as your subjects to submit to you the true king, Lord. And if there are areas that need to be dealt with this morning, Father, I just pray that we would just say yes, that we would bow to the king, King Jesus as you confront us, O God, with our lives. And Father, may we realize that it's not what we think we need, it is what we need. That is salvation, that is being right with you. And so, Father, any of those areas that need to be made right, what a great time for that to happen, to occur. Work within us, Lord, may we say yes to your call. And Father, may we live in the expectancy like all of creation that the coming King will arrive. May we have that thirst, that hunger, that sense of expectancy. And Father, we just wait and praise knowing that the victory has been won and that we are living not in the days of wanting to see victory but in the days of victory being ours and that one day it will be manifested in this new renewal, Lord, of all creation. So, Father, move among us in a time we call response or invitation. In Christ's name we pray.